Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Classy Vessels. Many of you remember Classy. He's been on my program quite often, and I'm going to introduce him in a minute. That Our topic is the call of the mountains. And... Um, just to tell you a bit about Classy, Classy was a chairman and managing director of corporate in corporate world for 25 years when he decided he needed a change. And he started Street School Journeys of Discovery, which he'll tell you about. He's a logotherapist. He does personal coaching, specialist transition coach, a life coach. He does life coaching, leadership development, coaching towards meaning and and he is unbelievably wise in the Stoic philosophy as well and many other philosophies. And he lives in Stellenbosch. Right. There's a lot more to be said, but I want to start with you immediately. Hello, Klaas. It's so good to see you on the Zoom. Yeah, hi Sue, so nice to nice to see you again. You're always so kind with your introductions. It's always so embarrassing to hear you introduce me. Are Thank you. you. It's great are you surprised you. at what you've done? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of Classy's favorite quotes is, "Once you have been to the Himalayas, don't you don't come all the way back." Now, Classy has just come back last week or the week before. Classy, tell me about your your experience this last time oh, thank you sue yes um we took uh, we were a group of 15 people that uh, trekked to everest base camp and uh, yes uh, some some of the people only got back a few days ago some people chose to stay a bit longer yeah so we had a we we left uh, in the middle of april i think we left on the 16th of april uh, for nepal um and then trekked it, it's a it's a 13 day trek in total, but the journey is 20 days. You know, all the traveling included is about 20 days. But we are on the mountain for um, 13, 13 days. Mm. So, yeah, we're all back. Uh, there's lots of stories to tell. Uh, we had some evacuations with helicopters. There were some very powerful experiences that some of the people had. So it'll be great to share some of that maybe with you. Yeah, I would like you to. One thing that came through a question once it went out on Facebook was how many times has has Classy been to Nepal and to the mountains? So this was my 15th uh, trip to Nepal. Uh, wow. I mean, I've been to India and Nepal probably 38 times in, in, in total in the last uh, 12 odd years. Hmm. Uh, but Nepal itself uh, was 15 and and. Um, base camp was 12th. It was the 12th time to base camp. The other trips were uh, sort of gap week programs that I did with school children in the Kathmandu Valley area. But yeah, this was my 12th journey to Everest base camp. And it's, uh, it's amazing that, you know, you do this over and over almost every year, but every time there's something new, there's something, something that strikes me on a, either on a deeper level, um, makes a bigger impression on me. Um, so even for me, that's been there so many times. There's always something fresh. 
And and Klaus, with your your quote about um, you do, we don't come back after being at the mountains. How do you ground yourself when you've been so often there? Is half of you there and half here? What actually happens to you? Yeah, you know there is something that lingers, um, but you know that is maybe maybe I can I can hitch that to nostalgia. You know, when we, the, for me, the biggest thing that happens in Nepal with a very, uh, I mean, this journey to base camp is very stressful. It's very difficult. There's two things people tell me afterwards. They say to me, you didn't tell us how hard this is going to be. Mm. And you didn't tell us how cheap the clothing is in Kathmandu. <laughs> 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 so, so there's, you know, when, when you come back, there's something that lingers uh, and it's, it's memory, it's nostalgia. It's that call, that mystical call that is actually very meaningful. You know, the mountains presents a mystery. And I mean, years ago when I started doing these things, my governing mantra, I can say, is have a story to tell. Mm. It was actually an advertising line we wrote for one of the Toyota vehicles. Right. And when I heard that line, when we wrote, when we wrote that line, have a story to tell, I thought to myself, what is the story that I'm telling? Well, I'm telling myself, I'm telling my kids, you know, what is this the story that I'm writing as a human being living my life, this one that I have? So going to the mountains um, is for me part of writing that story. This is part of my 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 storytelling. Mm. And yes, you know, the Himalayas is is a very it's a fascinating place. The people, um, you know, the Sherpas are so kind. They go to such lengths to make it comfortable for you and to look after you. We are challenged on all our dimensions. Mm. I mean, this is, you know, there's a, there's a word that I sometimes use when I talk. I, I call it spiritual vertigo. Right. You know, you're getting those spaces and you think all this stuff that I believe to be true about life, is it really like that? Uh. And a place like the Himalayas, and when you're under stress, you get not confronted in a bad way, but you get challenged in a in a good way to reevaluate the spiritual realities that you govern your life by. And and I'm not this is not just religion, you know, it's it's lots of other things in that domain. Uh, but you you know your mental constructs that you that you have, uh, you re, you get new appreciation for your body, mm. the fact that mm. you can still do stuff like this. Um, so it's it's actually a, a a very special experience in a very special place, and you cannot come back from that just locking it off and carrying on with life. There's something that lingers. You know, it's very interesting that you're saying that because my 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 granddaughter has taken a gap year to to Israel, and part of that gap year, they take them to to India, and. They said that that's where the biggest change happens in these children. They're mostly 18, 17, 18 years old who've come from pretty comfortable backgrounds often. And that going there, they go to New Delhi, they go to Jaipur, they go to Dharmasala, and they, they also climb the mountain and they sleep at the top there or they climb up wherever and they spend the night up there. And my granddaughter phoned on Friday and she said to me, 
Oh, you would love the market, Safta. She said, you would love the scarves and the earrings, and I've bought you one. Oh, oh beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, when I asked her what she felt, that how had she changed, she said, I have changed in so many ways. I don't have time right now to tell you, but when I see you, I will t- tell you. She said, I'll never be the same again. And, beautiful. but they also said that they found that the, the, the Actual climb was difficult. It pushed them to their limit, but it was an amazing yeah. experience. But so you see, yeah, I mean, comes into play um, Frankel's experiential values. The fact that we experience something, you know, as I, I'm just saying, I, I'm going to use the word Westerners. We we live in our heads so much. We live in such a conceptual world. We're forever worrying about tomorrow. You know. Looking at yesterday, we're forever in mental schemes and thinking and thinking. And when you get into an experience like your, what your daughter is experiencing or granddaughter, like in the Himalayas, you are granddaughter, sorry, granddaughter, you, you are, you are, you are in a physical experience and you are almost locked into it. Mm-hmm. And that's when a different kind of learning and a different kind of awareness uh, about life happens. And I think part of that we're going to break, but I just wanted to say quickly, part of that is realizing what an easy life she's had, she said, and how you don't need half of what she's had in order to be happy and to live a life of values. So I thought it was wonderful. We're going to ad break. I'm surprised you didn't tell me, Classy, you know when the ads are. (laughs) This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and I'm back with Classy Vessels, and we're talking about our topic, the call of the mountain. Um, Classy, you know, Edmund Hillary said, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. So I would like to know from you, what is your mountain call? What, what did the mountain call to you this time? So it is linked to the people that I take because part of what drives me is to take people to some kind of precipice, spiritual sort of edge, to take them to a point where they reevaluate themselves and discover something that they didn't see before. Um, so that, so, so I, I, I'd love to answer that, but if I also would love to run down the list of what these people experience on the mountain, because we had three helicopter evacuations. You can imagine how stressful that is. Somebody mm. who physically got to a point where they were so out of it that they couldn't carry on, and mm. you had to call in a helicopter to come and fetch them. So there were some massive experiences, and uh, you know some of it may be interesting. Is it? Yes. If, can, can I? Can Please I, can go I ahead. So l- let me start with the oldest uh, participant. We had a guy called Willie, who's got a melanoma on his head, had radiation three weeks before we left. Uh, His last radiation treatment was, I think, three or four days before we departed, and Mm. he was celebrating his 70th birthday on the mountain. Mm. And so so you can imagine for someone like that celebrating their life story uh, with this kind of experience and still be okay to do this at Mm. that age. And his partner, Rosalind, is going through a massive uh, career um, evaluation and life audit and checking, you know, is the work that she's st- still doing okay? And she's putting herself onto a different level. She wants to get involved with uh, working with women, uh, women going through struggles. 
um, you know, she, she stayed longer in Nepal and, and had some amazing experiences also to, you know, to help her actually pivot. So, so in a way, this mountain experience was a, was, was pivotal. I've, I've, I've said it. We had a guy called Eric who was dreaming about this for 27 years in 1996 mm. when the, the big disaster happened and when the whole trekking industry to Everest actually became popular. Uh, Eric, um, read all the stories about the 96 disaster and has been dreaming about this ever since. And he actually joined, I think he joined three weeks before the trek. Uh, he was fit enough. Uh, I mean, these people get training programs six months before we, before we leave. Oh, do you give uh, the training programs? Uh, uh, yeah, no, they no, they have to do a lot of okay. a, a lot of preparation. And uh, but Eric was he was all good. He was fit enough. Um, he actually take, took no Dymox all the way to the top. Um, so he's been you know fulfilling a dream that he had for twenty seven mm. years. We had a lady called Mareko who prepared eight hundred kilometers in walking, in preparation for this. Wow. That's that's what she tallied up. She got ill with a tummy bug. And the morning that I was, I walk in the back normally with the slowest person. And this particular day I was, she was quite slow and she was dashing off, you know, behind a rock, behind a rock, behind a rock. And mm. I could see that she was not in a happy space. And when I actually, you know, when we actually stopped to just have a good look at what's going on, she was shivering with a blank look on her face. She was mm. so in, there was nothing in her eyes. Oh, so wow. I had to turn around and went back to the tea house. Thank goodness the, the, the response was very good. It was a clear day. It was blue sky. So the chopper was, was there, you know, within the hour to, to take her away. Hmm. Uh, we had a couple call. <laughs> she must have been so disappointed after all that training. Oh. But, you know, um, uh, Sue, she also stayed longer. And uh. I hooked her, or, or she, she connected with a, a Tibetan friend that we've got. Uh, and she connected with a Lama and went literally went into the hills afterwards and in a cave meditating and had the most amazing spiritual journey in a matter of three, four days after the trek. So, you know, the thing, we think reaching base camp is a goal and mm. that's why we go. It's not why we go. There is something else there. Something mm. else happens. Mm. And in Mareka's case, not reaching base camp, yeah, that's sad, you know, you want to do it, but it didn't happen, but there was something else that came afterwards, that that in her life trajectory, in the total arc of her life, not reaching base camp is not a big deal. Mm. She got something mm. else. You wow. know, and that is you know in, in, the, in the concept of, of adventure, you know, if the moment you can script something, you know, the moment you can predict something, it's not really an adventure. You know, mm. it's just like you know protocol. You just mm. jump through the hoops. Uh, where this thing presents a dimension of adventure. Where you cannot predict what's going to come, uh, and it's testing your mental flexibility in a big one. Mm. So uh, Mareka had a had a had a had a big thing, and then there was a couple called uh, Peter and Stacy Breeze, who literally we were sitting in a pub having a beer, watching a rugby match, when other friends who were going to base camp were arm wrestling with them to say, "Come on, come on, join us, join us." So I mean, six weeks before the time, five six weeks before the time. They decided to jump on board. It was not on the radar. So I was very nervous about how they're going to experience this because, you know, you got to understand why you're doing this. You're not just doing it because your mates invite you, which they did. But their sense of humor, the, the, they were physically very strong, so it was very cool. They were, I mean, um, Peter and Stacey were always ready with a laugh. I mean, humor plays such a big um 
role in this. I should this, imagine uh, so. Because, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's some of the uh, days are so tense. Uh, we had Julian Ian who celebrated their 30th uh, wedding anniversary. So they came to celebrate that. They were both very, very strong. I mean, they were, they were not really affected by altitude. I think they were the strongest in the group. They were, they were really, really magic. But I want to, I want to, um, I've left three others for last. And let me start with Karen. So Karen is a mid fifties neuroscientist doing a PhD, finishing a PhD in neuroscience. So she knows what is happening with the body and the mind. You can't tell her anything. And she had a massive, massive, massive anxiety hmm. for the swinging bridges and for the small airplanes, for wow. the airplane that we fly in. So much so that she went for counseling before the time, lots of counseling to get her ready for these bridges. And what was interesting to see was how the anticipation played out and how the experiential therapy actually works how she would be on the bridge and I and she was walking right behind me with a hand on my backpack you know we were walking over the bridge to get her through and I could hear her doing her breathing exercises she was saying whatever she was saying to herself mm. with a lot of <laughs> a mm. lot of uh, uh, sort of strong words to, uh, to to sort of encourage her to get on with it uh, so she had a so the beautiful self-talk the breathing and how she managed to and we, on the one day, we do about six, seven of these high bridges that are, if you are nervous about heights, it's very daunting. Mm -hmm. It is daunting. And she conquered all of those. Gosh. So she had to be evacuated, unfortunately. Um, but again, her level of, of confirmation that she gave herself or got from this experience that how strong she is and that, you know, she got to just short of 5,000 meters, which was incredible. And um, overcoming the flight, overcoming the bridges has put her on a different path. You know, mm. She's on a different path. Mm. You know, she's, she's got a level of confidence that, that you, you don't read it. You can't read a book and get it. You know, it's like you got to do something. Um, you know, the, the, that thing about the challenge is what makes life in, interesting, but overcoming it is what's making it meaningful. Mm, mm. So in her case, the challenge of those bridges and overcoming them is what's making, you know, her life, it, it gives huge significance to, to her life. Mm. Um, I, I have a terrible fear of um, chain ladders, you know, climbing up chain ladders and of swinging bridges. Terrible. Uh, you know, in order to do it, I've got to really psych my mind up. So... Yeah. For her to be at that height and doing it, yeah. wow, yeah. what determination. And then we had a, a couple, uh, John and Sarah Fitzgerald. Now, John, uh, his mate Rory, they're schoolmates for, and, and been friends for 40 years. And Rory's son, Matthew, passed away three years ago in matric from cancer. Mm, no. And they, hmm. uh, uh, these Rory and Lena came to us with base camp. They came to base camp two years ago. To commemorate that. And this year, John and Sarah came along to hang a flag at base camp and to, 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 to sort of celebrate and I think commemorate is the, is it, if it's the right word, Matthew's life. Mm. And that kept 
them going. Because, you know, John, John is a big guy. He could have run out for the Springboks. He could have been picked mm. for, as a Springbok block. Mm. And in the mountains, uh, size is not an advantage. Mm. You want to be light. Uh. You don't want to be a big, a big guy. Huh. And John's a big, strong guy. And, but he persevered. He, he walked and, and he, you know, here again, we can see, uh, Frankel's philosophy coming into play. He did it for Rory and he did it mm. for Matthew and he did it for, for Linda, you know, so him and, him and Sarah. So, um, th- that was, um, and you know, when we got back to, there's a little place called Gorak Ship to just give you an idea of the grittiness of this experience. So on the morning of reaching base camp, you get to a place called Gorak Ship and, when we arrive there at 10, there's no running water. There's no taps because it's so basic and so remote. So the toilets are serviced with a bucket water. So it's a pit toilet mm. and a bucket. But when you get there at 10, everything's frozen. Oh, my word. So the, 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 it's because it's so high. I mean, it's over 5,000 meters. Mm. And the people who slept in the little tea house the night before and have vacated that, uh, they couldn't clean the toilets, you know. So and there's like stuff all over the place. So oh it's no! Very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the things my granddaughter did say. <laughs> but Classy, just taking you back for to a moment for that uh, memorial. How did your group react to that? Did they all participate in it? Um, they, they didn't actively participate in it, but we all knew about it. So, you know, there's a thing that happens on these journeys. Um, well, not a thing. It's just sharing. You know, we share really, really intimate detail. Uh, the most basic level of intimate detail is, you know, how many times did you pee today? What color was your pee? Did you do a poo? Uh, how many times have you pooed? Because we need to know. I'm sure. And and your... also with that, uh, what's it called? Daily belly. You've got to check. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we need to know because if there's a misfunction, you know, if stuff doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, there's a problem. So, uh-huh. you know, we all need to know. So we sort of compare notes. But now, no, just this. So that's job, where humor but, comes in. <laughs> uh, very much so. But yeah, so, so in John and Sarah's case, uh, we all knew that that was part of their mission. Uh, but, you know, it's something that's, um, that we, we sort of handle it sort of softly. Um, it's discreetly, it's a personal thing, it's their thing. We're all, we're all aware of it, but you don't, mm-hmm. you know, we, 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 it was not like a group thing, but although we were all um, aware of that. The, the last, it was an interesting, the last couple I just want to highlight interesting was Michael and, and Jocelyn von Innsbruck, and these two are triathletes. So they are Iron, Iron Man, Iron Man people. You wow. know, those people who yeah. just cycle <laughs> and swim forever. I mean, do, do you know what the, the Iron Man, dis- you know, the, the distances for the Iron Man? No. So, so, so you, you swim for 3.8 kilometers in oh. the sea. Then you do a 180 kilometer bike ride. Oh. Then you run a marathon <laughs> in, in one day. Um, so, so they, gosh. and then there's a half, which is like you, you uh, swim 1.9 or say you swim two Ks, then you ride 90, 90 Ks, like you do the night 4.7 afterwards, and then you run 21 K marathon. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the kind of people they were. Wow. And what's interesting is, at, and from my perspective, that something like a triathlon is a contained experience. It's uh, you know how long it is. You, you, the, the route is marked. Everything is laid out. You know what you're going to eat. You know with all that. It's pretty contained. But what was interesting is when they got to altitude, how the the effect of the body was affecting the mind. Mm. 
Because now the body is saying, hey, this thin air, we don't know this. Hmm. Weird stuff is happening. I haven't been here before. This is not right. And it plays games with the mind. So it was really interesting to see how this was affecting their experience as, as almost like professional athletes, getting themselves into this space of, of uncertainty that they haven't encountered before. Hmm. You know? So again, and then there's massive growth, you know, from there. A huge challenge. A, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. And so they, they did it. Did they manage? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, um, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, 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 I mean, Jocelyn, um, we, we had to fly her out. She, she got to the edge of base camp, but, um, there was a, there was a situation where it was too dangerous. It was, you know, when you make a call on evacuation or not, um, sometimes it's clear and sometimes it's a question. That needs to be discussed. And in her case, the feeling was just to, to get her to carry on could have presented risks that was not, mm. uh, it wouldn't, it would mm. afterwards we, we would have said to each other, what were you guys thinking about? Uh. You know, what, what were you thinking? Could you not see what was happening here? So you've got but to be yeah, on no, the they, ball all the time, actually, Classy. Oh, yeah, no. Checking we, yeah, on no, people we, all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, John's oxygen and, and Jocelyn's oxygen were, were in the 60%, 65%. Good. I mean, you know how, I mean, that is alarmingly <sighs> low. I mean, there's, there is oxygen on call, um, which we didn't use. Um, but we, you, you are really skirting on the edge here. And mm. it's, um, so, so some of this stuff is very, very sensitive. So yeah, no, you, you've got to take precautions, but, um. So for you uh, to uh, climb with the group all the time and have that responsibility, do you get to enjoy the mountain as much when you when you are with a group? It is a different experience if I will be without the group. And I, but I'm not saying that with a group is a bad experience, but it's a it's job. different. It's it's mm. it's caretaking. So so I for I I have to watch and look and ask and engage the whole time. So it consumes you in a mm. not in a bad way. I like it, but. Walking on your own, I mean, last year when I came back, for instance, from Island Peak, um, I had a few days on my own. And yeah, I mean, there's an immediate liberation, mm. uh, and it, it sounds like it's a, that, it, that it's onerous. I don't mean to sound, to make it sound onerous. But yeah, it is very different if, I'm you, sure. if, if I'm on my own, uh, than with a group, yeah. You know, I had, I read this, uh, I think it was by a Tibetan monk who said you never climb the same mountain twice, not even in memory. Memory rebuilds the mountain, changes the weather, retells the jokes and remakes all the moves. Oh, how beautiful is that? Yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> and I'm sure that is what does happen. Now, Classy, wow. just for a moment, you know, um, I wasn't sure if you were there at the time when those three Sherpas um, went missing. Sherpas. Tell me, what, mm. did that affect your group at all? Or how were the other Sherpas when, that it, you know? Yeah, I mean, in fact, there was a, there was a very high Lama from Kopan. Uh, are we having an ad break? Mm. <laughs> you are so <laughs> bright, Classy. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. 
Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and my guest today is Classy Vessels, and we're talking about the call of the mountain. If you'd like to SMS us, please do so on 34519, or you can telegram us on 61 8951019 Hello Classy I had just asked you about the the sherpas who had gone missing and what your the sherpas that you normally work with how they are actually handling it that was came in from a, a listener on Khayef um, I mean on Facebook by the way Classy um, Sue yes the the um the the reality is that dying on the mountain is part of that world. There's a place, for instance, it's called Tukla Pass, and this sits just on 4,800 meters. So at the top of Tukla Pass, there must be at least 60 to 100 memorial stones for people who have died on the mountain. Wow. And you trek past this. So the, it's a stopping point. We always stop at, two, at the top of Tukla Pass and we put on our backpacks and we spend a few quiet moments just reading the stones, reading the memorial messages that loved ones had left there for uh, for people who died on the mountain. So, I mean, before we the group arrived, a very high lama from Kopan um, monastery in Kathmandu passed away. Uh, yeah, the Sherpas that passed, I mean, there's, they're, they're always, in, and it does affect people, but it, it is more than, than making people morbid. It is a reminder of the preciousness of life. Mm. It instills a respect for life. And Coupled with the experience, it it reminds us of our common humanity. Hmm. You know, the the the, 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 the uh, there's nothing like death that stops us in our tracks to remind us of what is really important. So, in a way, it plays that role. It's got a, you know, it, it, it's not a positive role, uh, but but it's got a it, it's got a very significant um, uh, message for us. You know. So it's almost like the fragility of life. Which makes us look at our choices of, of how we're going to spend this time. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And now, I know that you're going on another trip, trip soon as well. Um, but I just wanted to tell you something that um, um, General Jan Smuts said about the mountain. Do you know about him and his the mountain um, about Cape Town mountain? He said. Yeah. Um, He's actually been given a mountain that's named after him, a number of peaks in the Canadian Rockies in the vicinity of Kanaaskis Lakes in Canada carry the names of admirals, generals, and others directly related to the military during the two world wars. Mount Smuts is exceptional and very special as it was named after a field marshal and prime minister of South Africa who had a very, very special feeling for mountains. And it says it's for good reason that Smuts has a mountain in his name. He once said of his love for the mountains when he was unveiling the Mountain Club War Memorial at McClure's Beacon on the summit of Table Mountain in 1923. You've probably seen it, actually, Classy. And this Mm -hmm. is what he said. The mountain is not merely something eternally sublime. It has a great historical and spiritual meaning for us. 
From it came the law, from it came the gospel in the Sermon of the Mount. We may truly say that the highest religion is the religion of the mountain. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, if you look, if you think about, you know, the mountain peaks and uh, the highs and the lows and of our lives. Now, the next group that you're taking, I would like you just to tell me a bit about that because that sounds uh, very interesting. Sue, which one are you talking about? The, uh, is it Aventura, um, the, uh, Aria. Uh, no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not doing that one. Oh, uh, you're no, not going to do we, it. No, no, we, we we're not doing that one. I, um, yeah, no, no, no. For for some reasons, I've I, I decided not to do one. Now, my next trip will be to India. I'm taking to Dharamsala. I'm actually doing uh, India Varanasi, India Mora mindfulness uh, journey. That will be in March, April next year. So, so and then base camp again uh, uh, next year, uh, March, April. We'll do an Everest base camp. Uh, trick again. I just want to add something. Uh, just a, it wasn't on our discussion guide for today, but I just want to add something else. There's a. I stumbled on a new, a new piece of research uh, by way of. I haven't read the book and, and, and studied the research, but it really sounds interesting to me. It's 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 called the hundred year life, mm-hmm. and the idea is that we are getting older. As a species, you know, in, we, we get, we're growing to be older and older. And there are still people who actually use the R word when they get to 63, 65 and they retire. I mean, goodness. But now what do we do for the next, if we're fortunate enough, blessed enough for the next 30 years? What do you do? I mean, you can only play so much golf and go on so many camping trips or whatever, you know, read the paper and make your coffee or whatever. And this whole notion of reinventing your life in these, I don't know what it's called, you know, teenagers, the term teenager was was a new development, you know, things like yuppies Mm -hmm. and and dinkies, you know, all these acronyms that we use. So maybe one day we're going to have a word for life from mid, mid, sort of from 60s onward that is productive, meaningful, sensible, significant, and not just retirement, you know, because, I mean, it is so depressing, that concept. And, you know, Classy, I had a, a program a few weeks ago, and I actually quoted Jane Fonda, that she had, uh, she speaks about the third act, which is from 60 onwards. And she said, if we look at statistics, we are, the those of us in the third act, are living 34 years longer than our great-grandparents. So mm-hmm. what are we going to do with this time? Exactly. How are we exactly. going to find our purpose and our meaning? And often it's reshaping our Absolutely. meaning and purpose. So go on, Absolutely. what were you saying yeah. about it? No, no, no. So, so I'm, 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 I'm hitching it onto, the, onto this mountain experience. That part of this experience is to actually take you into a position where you actually do an audit on a, on a spiritual level with your life and say, what am I doing here? And how can I reinvent myself a little bit for the next, you know, few decades to come? This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson and I'm back with Classy Vessels and our time is going very quickly but we'll all, we can always make another time. Classy, you know, you're talking about that third act. 
of of when you that that dreaded word retire. You mentioned episodic thinking to me. So wouldn't this be like witnessing the end without it actually was kind of empowering ourselves to move through this the challenges that this time presents us with? Could that come into episodic thinking? Just tell me. Um, absolutely. I mean, that that is the beauty of being human is to be able to imagine and to scheme and to visualize uh, different uh, alternatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 look, look, it's it's possible. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's definitely possible. Um, so, the, part of for for me, part of this is to retain some mental flexibility and pliability, and not get too rigid. Because you know, like like a plant, you know, as we get older, we get rigid in in so many ways. Absolutely. And and uh, and and experience like an adventure challenges you with unexpected outcomes to mentally to stay supple mentally. Uh, and then you know we, one can one can imagine dif- different outcomes. So sorry, Sue. Just I just want to squeeze in a last comment. I didn't mention my wife Sue, and females. Okay, we, that's very important. She she, she she does the base camp trick with me, mm-hmm. and we had eight women and seven men on this trick. Mm-hmm. And I just want to, so I just want to, I just want to put a little light on a female energy in what is sometimes perceived to be a very hard, not male but strong, you know, forceful environment like the mountains, is very very useful. So I wouldn't be able to do, I can't do these tricks without her. I mean, the two of us do these things together. Um, and the female energy on something like this brings a softness, a warmness, a, a, a an acceptance. That is that is very, very important. And I, I think sometimes we underestimate that. So it's that it's empath- about, uh, empathetic sense that comes through. So you you walk Absolutely. at the back with the the strugglers. Well, the people yeah, who are yeah. yeah. So where does she, where does your wife Sue she, so, wo- so, walk? so she walks with a with one of the the Sherpa guides in the front um to make sure the pace is not too fast okay. because we you know in order to manage altitude we go really slowly. You wouldn't believe how slow we go at certain points. So they walk in front and I walk in the back, not so much with the slowest person, but you know, sometimes people want to sit on a rock and just have a little think and maybe, you know, take a photograph and have a drink of water and we string out, you know, we don't all like troop along like a little posse, you know, we, 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 we make it very relaxed. Yeah. So I just look after the back and, you know, whoever's there, I'm there, you know, cause, yeah. And do people actually speak to each other, um, as they're walking or are people oh, in their own thoughts? No, well, it, it, it varies. Uh, you will get days where everybody's talkative and you get a day when, you know, somebody wants to, it, it varies. But it's a, a laughter. We laugh, a, we laugh a lot. There's a lot of laughter and a lot of jokes. Yeah, no, it's, it's the banter is, is nonstop. And, you know, when you have people like Ian and, and Peter and John with you and Michael, that's, uh, there's never, <laughs> there's always a joke somewhere. <laughs> and Classy, I'm being told that I've got to, 
close now. But before doing so, I actually wanted to read Victor Frankl's, if I can find it, uh, just hang on, what he says about the mountain. He said, let us ask a mountain climber who has beheld the alpine sunset and is so moved by the splendor of nature that he feels cold shudders running down his spine. Let us ask him whether after such an experience his life can ever again seem wholly meaningless. And I think that's very much what you're saying, that you find your own meaning each time you actually start your climb. And the trek starts in the valleys, just as our our life does. Um, Craig is telling me to stop and if you would like to get hold of Classy, you can at Street School Journeys of Discovery and it's Classy Vessels. Thank you so much, Classy. We've got a song that we're ending with, Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Westlife. It won't come through on the podcast, but you can look it up yourselves. Thank you, Classy. Beautiful. I'll Thank speak you, to you. Thank you, sir.